You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Forest Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. On Forest Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we talk about them. We are currently covering every Mandalorian-themed episode from Clone Wars, from Rebels, and we are now knee-deep, ankle-deep into The Mandalorian. We are covering Season 1, Episode 2, The Child, and we are joined by a special guest. Hello there. Howdy. I'm knee deep in mud. <laughs> we are joined by Brian from uh, the Pink Milk podcast and uh, the Pink Milk After Dark live stream. How are you doing today, Brian? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very, very, very excited. I love what you all do. It's great. It's a great show. So, oh, well, thank you so much. I'm a huge yeah. fan of Pink Milk. Um, Typically, Ryan has a bit for us, but I think we just want to get to know you a little bit better and your your relationship with uh, Star Wars. All right. No, I love it. I am an OT kid. I grew up uh, uh, in the 80s. And so Return of the Jedi was like the first movie I ever remember seeing in the movie theater. Um, I was only four. So I kind of grew up with Star Wars on VHS tape on you know your tv in the living room um but i have it's always been my number one favorite thing of all things and i never really left it so uh um it's been a lot of fun i was a collector for a long time and then uh i went to college and i had to sell everything (laughs) to help pay for school oh no Um, oh yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it was fun. It was fun. I had, I had quite the collection. I probably had. Uh, I mean, I don't know, a couple hundred figures on card from. Wow. Like literally from like the Kenner figures. I think I probably I had like a, almost the whole series of of Kenner figures. And then when, uh, the the late nineties, mid nineties, Power of the Force two figures came out. I had you know the first few waves of that everything and uh a ton of a ton of spaceships and all that. anyways had to sell it um and then that was that was the first like grown-up move <laughs> that i ever had to make <laughs> um so my star wars journey is really just it's it's the movies it's the tv shows i buy stuff here or there but once you go from a collection like that to having nothing it's like overwhelming to think that i'm gonna ever start again so if I see Max Rebo or Ahsoka, I buy it. Those are the those are my two like go to. I will characters. always buy everything. Yes, I yeah. love that. Those are your two. That <laughs> that's amazing. Dead is getting it? up there though. Okay. Tell you. Yeah. What is it about? I mean, Max. Like, no, no shade. He's the yeah. true hero uh, of Return of the Jedi. But how did you realize that? 
I honestly, like, I love this resurgence of Max Rebo. Like, again, in it, he's always, I think I have a, a, a magazine that I still have that I bought off the rack in probably 1983 at the grocery store. It's like Return of the Jedi Collector or something or other. It was like a, you know, the stuff that comes out before movies come out or whatever. And yeah. inside of it, there's a centerfold of the Max Rebo band. <laughs> and I loved that blue elephant. The second that came, I remember <laughs> hunting. I remember it so vividly all the toy stores that I had to go to to find it. The little the little box set with the three of them. Oh, my God. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was about it. It's just what spoke to me. I don't know what it was. Um, and I remember very clearly seeing it in the movie theater. I don't remember much of of the film, but I remember like Job of the Hut behind the curtains was really scary. And I remember being devastated when Max Rebo died when the sail barge blew up. And I was like, but mommy, he's a good guy. And I just remember that saying that over and over and over. Fast forward oh, to probably 1996, I think the book of uh, Tales from Jabba's Palace came out and there oh, was yeah. a chapter in there, yeah, right? Was it 96, maybe 97? Somewhere it was there. around there. Uh, but Max Rebo lived. And every yearbook I signed that year, I signed it with He Lives. And I don't think anyone knew what I was talking about. And I was very popular. If that <laughs> Everyone was thought you found already. Christ. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that. I don't know. That obsession has always been there. Don't know why. <laughs> but he's great. He's so so great. As, a, as a queer Star Wars fan, um, how do you think your fandom intersects with your, your queerness? So, I mean, that kind of goes into why we started Pink Milk to begin with. Um, because I guess I, Star Wars has always been kind of my thing. I've talked about that a fair amount on the show, but mm -hmm. uh, it was just kind of mine. I didn't really share it. I didn't have a lot of friends that were really into Star Wars. So it was always just kind of my thing. I had a toy collecting buddy in high school and uh uh after high school that you know fizzled i guess and so it's always just been kind of my thing and i don't know if i ever identified star wars and being queer like together until the mandalorian and then the minute that show came on um tom and i started our podcast kind of knowing that Mandalorian was coming and knowing that the rise of Skywalker was coming. So we started uh, our show in November of, of 2019. And very quickly, I felt that Din Djarin is queer. I still feel that way very much. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that today. Um, and I think this show was the first time that I saw Star Wars, like specifically as a queer person and through a queer lens. Um, I, I kind of have what I call the Holy Trinity and that's Luke Skywalker because Luke Skywalker's everyone's hero. And, and when I was a child, he was kind of who I wanted to grow up and become. And I hope I have fulfilled that because Luke is a pretty rock solid person, I think. Um, and then when the Clone Wars came out, I love Ahsoka Tano. She's probably my very, very favorite Star Wars character. And I look to her as something that I aspire to be, but I know that is not possible because she is otherworldly and amazing 
and her standards are so perfect. Gays but it's love like, Ahsoka and Padme. <laughs> they, we do. She's yeah. just, uh, they're great. I, 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 I love her. And actually, you know what? I'll take this back. There was at the wrong Jedi. I'm sure y'all have talked about that episode on this, on this show. Uh, I don't think we've covered moment. it yet. No, oh, we haven't oh, Okay. Oh God. That was the moment that, that changed me as a human. So yeah. that episode probably came out in probably 2010, somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it was it was 2013 because 2013 was the year that I dropped out of college and I knew it was the right thing for my mental health. And it was only a few months after that. Good for you. Okay, awesome. Yep. Well, this is probably a really good cleanse after that, too. Like, yeah, it's awesome how Star Wars like impacts us in different ways. But yeah, that was that was 2013. A hundred percent. I agree. So like that episode, you know, a lot of us queer people have lost people in our lives coming out, right? It's a a, a way to start the episode, Brian. We're not even 10 minutes in. I'm going here already. (laughs) No, you're good. uh, You're good. It's great. You know, Ahsoka had built this thing around herself. And, you know, I thought about the Jedi very differently after this episode. But when she walks away and says, no, I'm not coming back. It literally changed, it changed, it really did change me as a human because I was like, I can't be angry anymore for those people that I've lost in my life. I had, and the way she said, I'm not coming back without any anger and without resentment and without any of those things that are understandable for anyone who's lost so much to like feel, you know, those feelings are a hundred percent valid, but to be able to walk away from it and let go of that to start your path of the unknown as a queer person for me specifically um, with letting it all go and just seeing just a future was just so incredibly inspiring to me. And I've never been the same since that episode came out ever. Um, And I was already a huge Ahsoka Stan anyway. So I think that really just solidified everything. And I'm very thankful to her for that. Um, And then the stories that we've gotten of her after have just been, you know, Incredible, incredible. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I am not there yet in my in my queer journey. I think I still have uh a lot of uh anger still mm-hmm. with what I've lost from coming out, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I talk about callous quite a bit as someone who I really relate to as someone who was part of an organization that he thought he was doing the right thing and he thought he was helping people and he wasn't. And it was, uh, he was actually part of the problem and that leaving that and having to, um, you know, walk away and then fight for and with new relationships is something Mm -hmm. that I really relate to. Uh, but that shame and guilt of having been part of something that was hurtful is uh, something that I'm working through for sure. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not at that Ahsoka, though, moment of, yeah. you know, I'm leaving and, and there's no resentment. There's only peace. I, I don't have that peace yet, but um, oh, it's a struggle every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's what I that's one of the things that's what I, you know. 
I know I will never be able to achieve what she is capable of. It's just otherworldly. You know, a lot of people see that in Leia. Um, and I do too, but just Ahsoka just spoke to me so, so personally. I think the imagery around Ahsoka, maybe not in early Clone Wars, but especially mm-hmm. Rebels, she is portrayed as an angelic mm-hmm. otherworldly being. She's uh, contrasted a lot with the, the daughter and yep. the, the owl figures, and she frequently has like halos of light. And she's got yep. these two white lightsabers. Like, it's it, it's definitely. Um, I know a lot of people compare her to to like Gandalf. Oh, she's Gandalf, absolutely Gandalf. Yeah, she she is for sure this kind of. Um, uh, I don't want to say religious, but she is a spiritual being. Hmm. Well, she's. Oh, I feel like yeah. that begins on Mortis, really. Like she, she has the daughter coursing through her, and she, she has essentially become an. I mean, she rose from the dead. Like, yep, that's kind of on the nose, but that's. She's definitely I, angelic. I I have a a connection to Ahsoka and this feeling that she isn't even fully immortal anymore. That she is somehow one with the force and in a way. And then you talk about the world between worlds, you know, speaking of rebels and how that goes. And I don't even know, like, what exactly she is, because I don't know if she's fully anything anymore. I feel like I feel that uh, uh, um, Morai is this tether that keeps her between between these two planes, if that makes yes. sense. There was all of that fan art i'm gonna call it fan art because it wasn't Mm -hmm. like officially licensed but there was all that fan art that dave filoni did which i think it's phenomenal that dave filoni does fan art but um Mm -hmm. that he like just released on his private instagram or facebook or something and it was like ahsoka journeying through the underworld after the vader fight and like more was like leading her and she was walking through like that's water and everything was red. And, uh, I mean, it is, you know, Dave is, uh, a big fan of symbolism and allegory and metaphor. And, uh, you know, how literal can we take that sort of stuff? I'm not sure, but. Well, did you see the one? I don't know if it's not literal, if it's any less valid. Did you see the post? I think it was on Facebook that he made where he said like, I regret that you never got to see the time that Ahsoka met the Bendu. And he wrote out like a uh, script, this conversation between the two of them, where the Bendu said something about how she was like headed towards death itself. And she was like, does this mean I'm going to die? And he said, I didn't say that. Oh, that would be I, haven't, I haven't heard that before. That's amazing. That, yeah, it's on his Facebook page, and he doesn't post often, so it shouldn't be too hard to dig up. But it was interesting. It was like him talking about death and her taking it that she was going to die. And it was he said it happened right before they left for Malachor. Oh, boy. Right? Oh, boy. <laughs> so bef- before we get into Mando, though, I want to I wanna talk yeah. to Brian about Pink Melt. What has... Yeah, please. What has that been like with with starting that podcast and 
uh, something that I really appreciate about it is you're extremely open about uh, your family life and what it's like to be uh, same-sex parents. And you're, you're so open about uh, your fandom and then your relationships in fandom with your family. And it, it's very wholesome and encouraging. Thank you. So uh, just Thank you you know, tell us a little bit about Pink Milk and maybe what it was like diving into that. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, thank you for, for sharing that. That's, that makes, that makes my heart happy. You know, I, I was turning 40 and I had talked about for years doing a podcast. Um, but I knew, I knew my connection to Star Wars. You know, there's a lot of, of shows out there that cover the news and cover, cover rumors and, and speculation and trivia and all those things. Those are some, those are great shows. Like it's it's you know it's awesome, but that isn't my connection to Star Wars. I'm not you know like I said earlier. I'm not a collector anymore. You know I'm a very emotionally invested person through Star Wars. I I have a hard time and a harder time like being really open about my emotions. I'm you know at what a lot of us have to do, but Star Wars is how I, I think I process things through life. Um, and, and I knew if I started a podcast, it was eventually going to kind of go down that road. Um, but, uh, and then we had a child and, and I, I, when Jack came, who was our first child that came, I was like, I, I can't, I can't have, this wall these walls up anymore because i think a lot of of guys in general we're not allowed to be emotional um for all sorts of not good reasons and i didn't want to raise a son like that so i knew i had to start with myself and let it go and that was hard to do but i was like star wars is the only thing that's going to be able to get me there and uh tom and i have I think a really, really great relationship. I'm very lucky. I count my stars every day for him because he's amazing. And I think we're funny. And when I first started, I was like, you know, there is, I listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts and Tom likes Star Wars, but he doesn't know it. Like I know it. He's a casual fan at best as he has been described as. <laughs> and there are more casual fans in Star Wars than there are like the three of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, I want to put a show together that those people can like listen to because I was naive thinking that those people would actually want to listen to a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> um, but what quickly, what quickly became obvious was that that was not why people were coming. People were coming, I think, because we were queer. And well, I should say I, I'm queer. Tom identifies as gay. So I always like to put that out there. Um, but and then we did. We started talking about our family a lot and our family grew while we were doing the podcast. We had two kids when we first started and then our, our third and final son, Eli, came like towards the beginning of the of the pod, but not at the beginning. And so it just kind of started happening because that's what Tom and I talk about all the time. Our kids. And that's what I think was the thing that started to kind of catch because there are not a lot of same-sex couples out there. Um, and then I felt I was really excited to be like, hey, you know, forever, as a gay man, I didn't think I was ever going to be able to have kids. We weren't allowed to get married. We weren't allowed to adopt. We weren't allowed to do any of those of those things, right? 
And I was eager to celebrate that we can. And the idea that we were raising foster kids, and unfortunately, at least in this country, I feel there's a lot of stigma against foster children that is unjustly there. And so if I could share my really positive experience um, with the whole, with it, that maybe it would inspire other people or at least inform other people that, hey, maybe I can do this too. Um, And it just became important for me to share those things. And now it's just like innate uh, these days. But um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what started with at least with Tom and I. It was pretty cool. I think your show, even just besides being excellent Star Wars content, which it is phenomenal Star Wars content, but I think it does something for, um, you know, cis hetero fans that that listen. And I do know that you have like a pretty large uh, straight audience who are there for Mm -hmm. the fantastic Star Wars content, but it normalizes, uh, you know, a different type of family that they don't get to see often uh yep. they don't get to see in star wars any anywhere at least not you know specifically i think we all kind of view the ghost crew as a as a big gay family uh, but um and that's yeah. that's huge because especially in this country like we weren't allowed to get married until six years ago and then mm-hmm. adoption even even less time <laughs> even less yep which is we, we've t- which is bonkers. It, that is that is absurd. Um, but two for your your LGBTQ plus listeners, um, like a lot of us don't have that. Like a lot of us don't have nope. a supportive family. And um, like I I have an amazing uh partner and his family is fantastic but mine is not and uh to to hear you guys talk about how much you love your your kids and you know what it's like to be fathers and raising children like i've i've cried three times at this point listening to your podcast (laughs) so um it's it's really important every other episode (laughs) and it's uh it's beautiful yeah it's an absolutely beautiful show and i love how um I love what you guys are doing. I think it's really important. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it was, it was funny. So, so we started in November, right. And then, and June came and pride month came and it was, it was, they've now become friends, but Matt and Sean from blue Bantha milk co is a a star Wars YouTube channel. Um, And I was a fan of their stuff before they do really amazing, like star Wars essays and stuff like that. And now they've created the Banthaverse and it's, campy and wonderful but they asked us on to celebrate pride month as and asked us to talk about our found family and maybe i should be embarrassed to say this but whatever i'm always honest i don't didn't even realize how important representation was until that request because all of a sudden that you know you mentioned how how straight and cisette people are listening. And it was just this, I was like, oh, because I've, you know, I've been out most of my life. To me, this is just, this is the only life I know. And to realize that like my life is different to a large population 
It's just, it was, again, I probably should have been very aware of this, but I just really, really wasn't. And they are like rock solid people. And it was such an amazing opportunity. And I was like, okay, something, there's something bigger here than what I even thought was happening. And it was really flattering. And then I, I want to say it was like a few weeks later. Again, we've become friends now, but Mark Marquis from Clashing Sabres and, and Forever Star Wars, we had him on because I found him through Twitter. And we were like halfway through recording our podcast. And I realized this was the first time I had ever had a conversation about Star Wars as a queer person. And we were both talking about that Ahsoka scene that we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. And I was like, oh my gosh, someone is seeing this in a similar way to I am. And it was, it just opened up my entire world in that conversation. And that, because of, because of Blue Bantha and because of my conversation with Mark, it led me down this road to later in the summer to eventually start a Mando roundtable. Because I was like, okay, if I'm reading The Mandalorian as a very queer-coded show, there's no way that other people aren't doing the same. And I think there was like six episodes of this roundtable, if I remember correctly, maybe five. And again, I, that was something that I, shifted me as a human. I, if I'm remembering correctly, because this is going back like a year ago now, yeah. I, I was asked by you to be on that and I couldn't yep. make it. I had a scheduling conflict and I still kicked myself. Yep. Because uh, th- those roundtables were fantastic. They were really, really worth uh, listening uh, to. I, yeah, I really, I, I always, I am, I am really proud of those. I don't think I knew what was going to happen with them. <laughs> But what came out was just so incredibly important. Um, and I'm very, I'm internally grateful to everyone. And now that's how I met Mark and Emma. We're through those roundtables and now we have a live stream. Um, because I was talking to Tom and I was like, I can't go back. I love what Tom and I do. And I, it's, it still is very much the heart of the show. But I'm like, I can't just do what we did. Like I've made this connection and I don't think I knew I needed a Star Wars family like I have now, if that makes sense. Um, and so now we get to deep dive and do all these amazing things that Tom just can't do because he's a casual fan. <laughs> so, but uh, um, yeah, it's been an amazing experience. I have to tell you. It's just good stuff. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into this episode. I think the recap is going to be very quick. Uh, because it's it's an episode with a lot of action, but uh, it opens with uh, Mando and the child. Um, he is uh, escorting his asset that he's captured back to his ship, and he gets attacked by some Trandoshan bounty hunters, and he makes pretty quick work of them, and realizes that they too have tracking fobs leading them to Baby Yoda. Uh, he gets... Baby Yoda to the ship. It has been put up on cinder blocks, uh, like he left it, uh, you know, in the in a sketchy part of Philly. Um, <laughs> I can say that because I'm from Philly. I love Philly still. But um, uh, yeah, so some Jawas have have uh, made away with with everything, but uh, but the engine. It looks like um, he he <laughs> freaking incinerates. Uh, a handful of them and chases them. There is a Last Crusade tank chase scene. Uh, Mando <laughs> gets his ass whooped by the Jawas. He goes back to his uh, Kuil buddy 
and is like, hey, I'm fucked. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Quill's like, look, just shut up. I'm going to take everything for you. <laughs> Takes him to the Jawas. They strike a deal. And if you beat up uh, this big muddy boy, then we will give you your shit back. Mando goes and uh, is no match for the big muddy boy. But uh, baby Yoda saves the day. And he he guts the 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 big the big mud the big mud monster man hairy horny mud man and um, takes the hairy egg back to the Jawas and uh, they go to town like it's fucking half price mimosas at brunch during Pride Week and they give the Mando his ship back and then Mando and Quill put the ship back together. And uh, Mando flies off. That is the episode. So, <laughs> what worked with this episode for y'all? I know that in our group chat, some controversial opinions were already oh. potentially oh, flying. Oh, yes, they were. <laughs> First, I just have to say, I've never heard the Mudhorn described as a big, muddy, hairy man. But it's I'm like here for it. It's like a big boy. It's like a big, uh, it's a big, it's a big lad. Don't forget mm. horny. They said um, big, muddy, hairy, horny. <laughs> maybe it's a girl because it had an egg. That's a I don't good know. Point. Or maybe maybe the boys lay the eggs. I, you know, mm. nature's wild. Mm-hmm. I was just very excited about this, that description here on a Saturday yeah. morning. I yeah, was that like, was, All right, we can start this day. <laughs> I like the episode now just because of that description. I will say that this is the episode where I fell in love with the show. Because last week or last episode, Ryan, Andrew and I had kind of talked about our fears that this was going to be a very uh, badass man does badass things kind Mm -hmm. of show. And um, uh, Ryan and I, probably every episode in our Mando rewatch, talk about how we don't like Karen Travis's (laughs) version of masculinity and Mandalorians. And Uh, this to me is the epitome of the opposite of that. Because Din sucks in this episode. He he starts off fighting the Trandoshans and he wins, but barely. His mm-hmm. armor gets fucked up. He gets hurt. Um, and so, like, even when he li- wins, he kind of loses. And then he gets beat up by Jawas, which is, uh, you know, Jawas are, are kind of a joke in the fandom. Like, any video game where you get to be a badass, you can just slaughter Jawas. I mean, like Battlefront, Force Unleashed, um, Bounty Hunter. Like they're they're the the the, the, the little the little NPCs, you know, mm. cannon fodder of Star Wars, and they yep. whoop him. And then yeah. he gets unmade by the Mudhorn. The Mudhorn piece by piece dismantles him. Mm-hmm. Um, I love before he goes into the cave, there's a moment where he checks all of his gear. He checks each gauntlet. He checks that he has his knife. He checks his blaster. And that is foreshadowing because each of those pieces of equipment fails him during the fight. Yep. That's a good point. I and don't know how I missed that. He gets completely unmade. And the thing that saves the day is his relationship with baby Yoda. We'll go back to, to Yoda and Empire Strikes Back with Luke at the tree cave. Your weapons, mm-hmm. you will not need them. Everything you need is right here. Leia says that to, to Rey at the end of The Last Jedi. You know, 
when Ray's looking at her broken lightsaber saying, I don't understand. We can't do anything now. And Leia's like, we have everything we need. Well, this is Mando's Din Djarin's in a moment of you have everything you need. You are not alone. You think you need to be alone, but what you need is your clan. And he doesn't know what his clan is yet. But the force does. And the force is there with him. And he didn't need any of those things because he had his, his child there. And that was going to be his entire future. And I love, I love that. I think there's something about masculinity where, like, Din needed to have those things stripped from him. He could have never given them up on his own. He, he needed to try the wrong way and fail before he would have learned to, like, try the right way. And, like, that sort of pride and that sort of like unhealthy type of masculinity is what din is kind of still working through but i this is the episode because of that because din fails every step of the way that i was like oh no this is not the sort of mandalorians from legends who can't mm-hmm. be beat and jango fett can you know kill five jedi with a rock even though that comic is dope but um, <laughs> uh, this isn't that sort of story and yeah, I love this episode. I'm with you. So Ryan, I, yeah. I know you're not totally into it, right? I'm not, you know, I, I stayed up until midnight the night that it dropped and I watched it and it, the pacing felt off to me. First of all, this was about a 15, 20 minute story that they stretched out into 40. And 32, I guess, bitch, well, how much is it? <laughs> 32. <laughs> 32 okay i rounded up in my disdain but i think like i don't know why it bothered me so much because i like jawas they're silly i love everything you just described you know the whole mudhorn fight minus the music whatever that horrible noise is at the beginning that Ludwig Göransson wants to convince me is the score of the episode is a crime i mean I oh I can't get into that that like that noise that sounds like a cat that's about to throw up that plays right before the mudhorn comes out of the cave I'm not feeling it maybe it was foreshadowing Jesus. the hairball I don't know <laughs> the Jawas have red eyes now I'm still angry about that I don't know what that says about me but they're supposed to be yellow eyes there's types of Jawas maybe like they're not even on Tatooine. I, well, that's another thing. Don't These get me started on that. Eyes. It's okay. <laughs> Jawas Ryan, should no, be on Tatooine, man. No, I'm here I, with you. I'm cool with red eyes when they're off world. That maybe there's something with the atmosphere that somehow does something. But then when we fast yeah. forward, see them again on Tatooine, oh, and they have red eyes, then I was annoyed. I was like, okay, come on now. Because <laughs> those are yellow eyes. <laughs> You know what my least favorite part of this episode is? And I don't think it's even any fault of the episode. Speaking of the whole toxic Mandalorian Karen Travis masculinity, I swear (laughs) every single human being who loved Karen Travis latched on to the line, I'm a Mandalorian. Weapons are part of my religion and completely missed the point of the episode. I Mm -hmm. am so over that line. And I thought, like, once we find out that he's in a cult, people might make the connection. Oh, well, mm-hmm. weapons are part of his religion, but that was a bad thing. Nope. Didn't happen. Also, I have too much faith in this community. Like I said, every weapon fails him. 
Yeah, exactly. But people miss that. They just no. heard the line and got to work making a vinyl decal for the back of their truck or whatever people do with that line. I don't know. <laughs> In, I I think that, like, I... I'm telling you, like, this... I just... I can't... I can't unsee this episode. And I don't know, are we... Do we, you know... We now know other things because, you know, uh, we're in the future yeah, from when is, this episode came out. We but. we don't uh, cover episodes as they air. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we wait a very long time, hence why we're doing season one now. So any spoilers yeah. you want to discuss from season two is still fair game. OK, yeah. so I can we can we know that there's other stories. So, yeah, something we've been talking a lot about on Pink Milk as of late is how when there's new Star Wars, it recontextualizes everything that came before. And I think it's this amazing gift that telling stories out of sequence has afforded Star Wars, um, which is amazing. And so there's a few things like in this episode that are just, I don't know. Oh God, I'm all over the place. I don't know if I could watch this show the same way, not being a parent, mm-hmm. but like, hmm. so I had mentioned Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka are like my two favorites, right? Well, I'm really big into like Holy Trinities and all of that stuff in like spiritual land. Right. But I, I think Din Djarin has become after season two has become my third, like Holy Trinity spirit. I, I love this character. I don't know if I have ever been this attached to a character as I am to Din. And when this show first started, I liked it, but I don't know if I loved it. And it wasn't until months later that there were all these subtle things. This show is is very pew, pew, pew on its surface, but there is so much subtext and there is so much rich storytelling and emotional beats being played underneath the surface of this whole of this series as a whole. But I think it starts really, really, really well in this episode. And knowing now what happens in season two and knowing who we now know is Grogu and, and more of his story, the fact that for this entire episode, Grogu is in that little pram or prim or whatever it's called, you know, his floating egg, and there's no connection. And, and Din is at this point of his life where this is where during the roundtables, I, I, this is where the queer storytelling starts. And I feel that like Din isn't out yet. You know, we, in, in, in universe, the Mandalorians are kind of forgotten about. They've become almost this like mythical people knew they were around and maybe there's a few left, but people don't know who the Mandalorians are exactly anymore. And the only way they were able to survive was by, you know, adopting other kids. And here's Din. We, we know is an adopted child by, you know, and, and through them. So he's already struggling with whether or not he is a Mando or not. Like what is a Mandalorian? And he is so he's grasping on to everything that he thinks is important to what it is that he wants to be. And I think back to like my coming out stories and as I can speak only for myself, obviously, but I think a lot of queer people go through these things of grasping on to everything in the world around you that you think is important because we are in crisis trying to figure out who we are because a lot of us come out and maybe we don't change, but everyone else around us changes and we lose people. And then all of a sudden the world doesn't see us the same way anymore, which forces us 
to start to change. And we are so, I think a lot of us suffer from anxiety and all those things because we have to question every single move we make. Did I, you know, is my wrist too loose here? Is my voice going wrong over here? Am I standing up straight enough? All of these things that we put on ourselves and society puts on us. I see that in Din and a lot through this episode of like to, the, to speak to the line you're talking about of weapons are my religion. Like he is so desperately holding on to this thing to be seen as something that he's just not. He is not any of those things, but he wants to be so bad because it's his identity. And he is, is about to transition after this. You know, once we get our shiny new army, he carries himself very differently. He's becoming, he's getting used to his skin and who he's going to be. And then to fast forward in season two and watch him start to strip away that armor. Because as Kawil says, you know, you don't need those things. You don't need them. That's not who you are. And it's just, oh, God, so it, good. It really hits me in season two when he starts uh, compromising the code mm-hmm. and then telling himself that he's, you know, oh, this is, I'm not breaking the code. This is kind of a loophole. And he's kind of playing with the idea of coming out oh. and taking his helmet off. And, like, fucking Bill Burr calls him on it. And he's like, look, like, you're, oh, you can wear a different helmet and that's fine. and like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can compromise it here, but not over there. And like, so-and-so can see you without your helmet, but so-and-so can't like, you're just making up these arbitrary rules and none yep. of it matters. But, you know, yep. a lot of queer people when they're, you know, trying to figure out, you know, can they come out and, you know, can they, I'm not going to come out all the way, but like, I can, you know, hang out with these people or, um, you know, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not gay maybe i'm you know maybe i'm just a little Mm -hmm. feminine or maybe i'm not gay but you know that guy's really cute and maybe i'm you know i'm not i'm not gay but yeah you know and they make these compromises until finally you reach a point where you can't compromise anymore and you can just be who you are and to see din struggle with that all through season one and season two um uh, i think a big thing too is to see uh, happy queer people who give you permission to be yourself and everyone knows Bogatan is the queen lesbian of Star Wars yep. <laughs> and like Din meets her and she's like thriving with her helmet off and her two mm-hmm. sexy wingmates uh, mm-hmm. kicking ass taking names and Din is like oh I could be a Mandalorian I could be myself but also I could remove my helmet Oh my God. I love it. When we like learn that they're in a cult and he's like, but I am Mandalorian. She's like, no, you're not basically. No, I am. Which, you know, that's, there's so many layers. The show is so subtext in layers and Bo-Katan's amazing, but she's also not nice. And she's also like gatekeeping and there's all, but like, Oh, we talk about Bo-Katan and her layers here all the time. Oh God, it's so good. Like she's an amazing character, but like Din's like, Oh my God. Like she's like, no, those things. She's another person in that split moment. Those things don't make you Mandalorian. That's not what this is about. <laughs> but she was also that when we first meet Bo-Katan. She was very much that, you know? Oh, yeah. And she yeah. had to learn. It was just, oh, God, it's so good. But All like Bo-Katan's th- character development happens off screen, which makes her a very difficult character to track. But yeah. she's, she's still amazing. Yep. Yep. I think, you know, one thing that I... I... I, I 
remember the very I remember when the reveal of 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 we now know his name is Grogu. When Grogu when we first meet Grogu, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, this dude is about to become a dad. Like I knew that he was just nascent and all those things, but you know, I there was something. He wasn't ever gonna really give him up and sure, okay, he does for a second, but that's only to get his armor. And then he knew what he was gonna do. He knew. I know it. I know it. But there's this moment of at towards the end of this episode when he is battling the big horny hairy man in the mud that he like you said he's lost all the weapons right he's lost everything and then the child saves him and that spoke to me so much there's so much silence in this episode and it 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 brought me back to so our our, our first son Jack came and it I've talked about this a lot, so go quick. But, you know, we got no, we didn't know he was coming until 3.30 in the afternoon. And he was going to be at our doorstep at 8.30 at night. And we had never been a parent. We had never done anything. I didn't even know how old he was at that point in time. We just didn't oh, wow. know oh, wow. anything. And it was, it was overwhelming, right? And Tom and I had been together like nine years by that point. It was always just us. And Tom and I are anything but quiet. We talk all the time, you know? Like, if you listen to the show, that's just us. That's our life. Um... And we didn't have anything because the the way we thought we were going to go was the more traditional route of adoption. And it was going to take months and months and months. And we were going to build the room together with this child and all these things. Right. But we didn't have time for any of that. So I left work at three 30, flew in the car, went and bought a bed, did all these things and just like, like figured it out. I didn't even have time to process anything because it was just like, Oh, there's going to be someone on your doorstep. And that's literally what happens to Den. And there was like 10 minutes before Jack came and it was so quiet and our house has never been quiet. And Tom and I still talk about just this silence. We didn't say anything to each other, but we were saying everything to each other all at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's this silence that I could just hear Din's emotions going, I got to figure out how I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this? And then, you know, then we were to find out later that he is an adopted child himself. And so he knows this process. He knows what Grogu went through. We don't know that yet, but he does. Grogu doesn't know that yet, but Din does. And so he's accepting what his life is about to be. And Din's always been on his own. I would imagine since the time he was a child, I just feel like he's spent his entire life alone. It doesn't even know how to be with other people. And the mud horn comes. And when all hope gets lost, you know, he's looking the thing in the face. and He's like, okay, I guess this is it. This is my, this is how I'm going out. And then the child saves him. And I get very emotional thinking about this because one thing that I couldn't have anticipated being a parent but our children, you know, the traditional way of having kids, it's an infant and they don't have a history. Their entire history is with you and you experience everything for the first time together. And our children came to us with an entire life before. Um, and honestly, not a, obviously nothing good brought them to us. So they had a very hard life before they came. And what I was not able to understand until it happened were that was that past was going to become part of my past and that past was going to become part of my future. And there's this metaphor in this that is just so moving to me that, that 
the Gro- the Grogu's past becomes Mando's saving future. And because of Grogu's experiences literally saved Mando's life. Here in this moment, very physically, but as the show progresses, metaphorically, it's because Din's got to pull his act together to heal himself so he can be a better child parent to this child that is going to need him. And it was very much speaks to my story that I was talking about kind of at the top of the show. like, And the metaphor of who saves who in that moment like, is just flipping everything. <laughs> it is like everything. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible storytelling. And it was very beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. Hearing how, as, as someone who has adopted children into your life, hearing how, you know, this is a silly show. Star Wars is silly. It is inherently silly. But mm-hmm. that doesn't take away the, the beauty or how it moves us either. You know, it is, it is all of those things. And hearing how seeing represented on this show, um, uh, you know, an adoptive father with his adopted son and what that has, how that's impacted you and how you've related to that. And it's, it's something that I don't understand. Um, you know, as someone who has not adopted children or or been a parent, but I can, Mm -hmm. Uh, I can feel it because I hear you talk about it mm. and that thank you so much for being open about that mm. and sharing that. With yeah, us. absolutely. Yeah. That that's just such a unique perspective on, I mean, star Wars, like Andy said, you know, it's at its best when it's fun, but it's also fundamentally about selflessness. And I mm. speaking, not as a parent, uh, mm. I mean, I, I think good parenting is about selflessness. And I think that's why star Wars is so reliant on ideas of family for its storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it was just really powerful to hear you and your unique journey talk about how this particular family resonated with you. Yeah. No, thank you. And then don't get me, you can bring me back when you talk about chapter nine from season two, because then we get space daddies <laughs> and I was all sorts of giddy. I was like, every hunch that this dude was queer is now confirmed because these two are going to be space husbands and they're going two to single dads for sense. Oh my have God. Have a meet cute. <laughs> But I agree with you. I agree. Star Wars is so much fun. We were literally just talking about this a few live streams ago when we were talking about A New Hope. Like, it's another thing that Star Wars, I think, gave me is this playfulness. I would like to think that I'm a very playful person and I'm a a pink milk half full kind of person. But I think it's because of Star Wars. That it's so playful on its surface Because what better way to deal with tragedy and heartache and all of the tough things that so many of us have to go through than to learn how to make an adventure out of figuring it out along the way. And it's something that I I really feel informed me as a person because that really is kind of how I go through life, I think, more often than not, of buckle up, fly boy. (laughs) You know, let's let's go. Let's throw it in hyperspace and just see what happens. And it's, and it's all of those yeah. things. It is the the hero's journey and kind of this this grand mythology. And there's uh, these really human moments of connection of uh, fathers and sons and brothers and sisters and found oh. family. And then there's also Han tapping a scout trooper on the shoulder and running the other direction. <laughs> uh, and 
and and fucking uh, the cantina scene, you know, and a bunch uh, of eggheads playing uh, yep. jizz music. Yeah. Uh, so like it's it's all of these things, and um, it's uh, <laughs> I I do think that sometimes uh, people zero in on one thing, or they try and make yep. Star Wars one thing, and uh, I think they're missing out when they do that. Because, yeah, absolutely, Star Wars can connect with each of us about our families and, and, and help us, you know, kind of process stuff in beautiful ways. Yep. Uh, but it can also make us laugh, and it can also, you know, be scary, and it can also be uh, adventurous. Um, Star Wars is, yep. is many, many things. I... It- it's one of the, it's most amazing gifts and Din's underneath the helmet, you know, Darth Vader is underneath the helmet, Han Solo, his helmet is not on, but you know, he comes out of the carbonite and becomes something else. There's so many helmets and, and buckets, I guess, in Star Wars. Right. And it's the biggest gift because all of us, Star Wars is not about factual evidence. Star Wars is about the emotional connection to everything. And, and all of us are hiding underneath a bucket of our, whatever it is that we are hiding in and we're looking outside of that bucket at the world in this galaxy far, far away, but it's very unique. And when I see all the gatekeeping stuff and all this, it's so ridiculous. Like it's Star Wars' biggest gift to see who's under each of those helmets and it's sharing our stories and you're not right. I'm not right. Neither of us are wrong. This is our wholly unique experience. And Star Wars is this gift when you can open yourself up, to I never saw X, Y, or Z that way, but thank you for sharing that. And it's so amazing. I don't need to have a personal connection to enjoy it because now I have met you. And it's this way of seeing it broadens our own worlds, you know, and makes our small little life group feel like this big gigantic galaxy because we are able to connect to people. And it's something that Star Wars for me, it's, it's solely unique to Star Wars for me. And it's a real gift when you open yourself up to that. I don't think I could say it better. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. circling it, circling it back to this specific episode, anything mm-hmm. that we would change about it, anything I know, Ryan, you have, <laughs> you have some opinions <laughs> about the score or anything. Uh, I've already said my bit. I, I love this episode. I don't think I would change anything. Um, I, I don't think there's really anything that they could have done better. Yeah, I don't know. It's so funny. Every time Rick Famiod has an episode of the Mandalorian, they're always my least favorite until later. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, this person's episodes sit with me the longest because they are so just playful and can't be on the surface. But oh my God, there's so much. And I have to say, no one should shoot that baby other than this person. Like no one makes Grogu look better than Rick. So I, I guess the only thing I would say to make this episode better is maybe not kill so many Jawa because they're amazing little people who um, are just doing the best they can. I, speaking of the Jawas, I love that they have, like, umbrellas on the top of the sand crawler. Um, yes! Yes! They have, like, a little, like, beach deck up there. Yes. They're just trying to have a good time. Yeah. I um, 
the, I am the an tank unabashed chase is so fun. Oh god. I thought maybe it went too long the first time I saw it, but it didn't. It's just and that's another moment of like Din. How many times did that happen to Din, right? Like the dude is just like he has given up on himself because we would find out in chapter six this dude used to be a brutal like attack machine. He's that that super stereotypical, this is what Mandalorians are, right? He's got that in him, but he's just given up on himself. And he fell, and normally he would be there alone, but look who strolls up. And all of a sudden, this guy's world is becoming something bigger, and it's just, oh, God, it's so good. There, like, yeah, there are two I moments in this episode where he's flat on his back mm-hmm. and looking up at the, the sky. Yep. And and both Waiting times to die. Yeah. yeah. Both times he's pulled up by, you know, the need to help Baby Yoda and get Baby Yoda somewhere. Mm-hmm. There is a uh and I really I uh, when at the uh, uh, when Grogu goes to heal Din, you know, and he's trying to sit there and hurry up with heal his cut arm. There's that sound of the force that I don't feel we ever got before Rebels. And the first time I, when I think of that sound, I always get brought to Kane or to Ezra when he was sitting on top of the first episode of Rebels. Yep. And, and Ezra sitting on top of that rooftop and he looks down and sees Kanan. Or is it the other way around? I can't remember. Um, but they see each other, and there's that sound of the Force, the connection that they have. And we hear it between Din and Grogu in this. And I was like, oh, there's a bigger story going on here. Just because of that that little bit of sound design was awesome. So awesome. And great foreshadowing to who Grogu is and who we would see him to be in a few minutes. So I think my my last note on this episode is that when the Mandalorian was announced, um, you know, I, I, I got to go to the celebration panel and see stuff. And I, um, you know, I definitely read some rumors and I, I've talked on this podcast before about the super shadow days. I remember the super <laughs> shadow days. Uh, so shadow. <laughs> seeing rumors, I'm always like, oh, well, that's dumb. Uh, and I saw the rumor that there was going to be a child of Yoda's species. And I was like, oh. these these fuckers are so desperate to make up anything. What a dumb idea. Who wants to see a child of Yoda's species? Like, we don't need... George always said that he'd never say the species name, one. And nope. two, like, why would a show about Mandalorians have a a Yoda baby in it. Like that's, that's absurd. So like, I don't want that. That's dumb. And like, you know, went on with my day. I thought it was the silliest rumor ever. And then sure enough, the end of the first episode. And I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. I didn't see that coming. I like, I don't know if I like that. That's kind of silly. Uh, and then, I mean, this episode, I ate my words because I, you know, everyone fell in love with, uh, Grogu this episode um and i couldn't have been more wrong it was a great idea uh, yep um so yeah this this is the episode that i think everyone falls in love with with grogu uh he eats the frog he was, yeah he saves din 
the little hand, you know, it's it's just precious. So I literally have in my notes for this episode. I'm reading it right now. Hungry Grogu. Grogu is the best Grogu. <laughs> He's very good. He's very, very good. Um, I think the I have one more note. The actor who plays Khalil. Uh, I'm totally blanking on her name, but the, uh, the Misty Rose is incredible. Yeah. Just yeah. Incredible. Uh, yep. She is a legend. Um, I hope they keep bringing her back for more. I know that she is frog lady. She is. Uh, she is an absolute superstar of a performer uh, to me in the line of Doug Jones. Like uh, mm, we just rewatched yeah. shape of water and, uh, Doug Jones is an absolute rock star, in my opinion, a living legend. And I, yep. I would put her in that same school of, you know, I hope she keeps getting this character work because she does a, a stand up fucking job. I want to see her without a mask. I'm going to keep that up, too, because it's beautiful. But like the fact of what she can do underneath all of that stuff. Yeah. I want to know what she's capable of without it. Like, I can't imagine how absolutely amazing she has to be. Something that I've been saying, too, is I want Warwick Davis to get, like, another Star Wars role in, like, like a Baker way. Because he's also constantly performing behind, you know, layers of prosthetics and latex or plastic. And um, I think he's a super talented actor. I mean, like... The only role I can think of that he really got to shine where he wasn't in stuff was Wicked. And Wicked's mm-hmm. great. He, uh, uh, solo, he kind of, I mean, he took his helmet off at he's least. He's got a couple the, lines, yeah. for sure. But not yeah. enough of, well, he was, wasn't he, uh, what's his name in Rebels, too? Uh, he was Rook. Yeah, he was, he was Rook and he does but great. I know, yeah, exactly, but his, I, I know what you mean. He should get an on-screen, like Willow, but in Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily saying he needs to like lead a project. Um, yeah. But you know, he's got such a great legacy in Star Wars that I'd love to see him get something with a bit more meat on yeah. the bones. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it Misty you said? Misty Rosas. Yep, yeah. Misty Rosas. Yeah, she I, like keep giving her parts in Star Wars, please. And like, she I I, I just I think it's remarkable how she brings these characters to life with. Uh, the the limitations of the prosthetics that she is nope. performing under. It's incredible to me. I 100%. Quill is such a standout, knockout character. Um, and then to see how she was as Frog Mom, like, in wholly different characters, it was just, oh my god, it was so incredible. I couldn't believe how the fandom fell in love with Frog Mom. Like, yep. oh, Frog Mom was precious. <laughs> she She captured everyone's hearts. Um, and the, the like joy that people felt when frog mom gets reunited with frog dad, uh, like, uh, Shania Twain's my heart will go on was like playing (laughs) as they slowly (laughs) ran to each other. Magical. Uh, yeah, she, she's incredible. Give her more roles. I just, uh, but if I was, that's what I would say. I just looked her up and she, she specializes, she's played gorillas a lot like she specializes in like creature work but she mm-hmm. also does some pretty intense stunts she was uh she was like stunts for some of the kids in the hunger games and stuff for the combat stuff like let's see her in that kind of role in star oh. wars oh. 
Oh, that's get right. Her I didn't some know Mando that. armor. Yeah, get her, get her kicking some ass. I mean, real talk. This is just an issue I have in general with Star Wars is that we've never had a on-screen Sith woman. Yep. Ever. Yeah. The closest we've had is Ventress and the Inquisitors, mm-hmm. and uh, they are like poignantly not Sith. Um. Which is frustrating because then you get like gatekeepy dude bros who are like, well, they don't count as Sith. And it's like, yeah, but they kind of mm-hmm. do. But they don't, <laughs> they're not a Darth. But then um, also, like, they're in the, t- the TV shows. And I think the line yep. between the TV shows and the movies is blurring in a big way because of yeah. things like Mando and WandaVision and stuff yep. like that. And that line is getting fuzzier, but it, it's still, I think, a line. So, yeah, get her to play a badass Sith lady. That'd be dope. That would be awesome. That would be, yeah, anything. Yeah, but yes. Yeah. If she's doing all that stun stuff, I didn't know that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, what a... Yeah, yeah talk about range. To be able to do stunt work and then also, like, creature performance. Like, yeah. those seem like two very different kind of fields. That's that's very impressive. It's all, I mean, I guess it's all, like, it's all sort of extreme motor control and just knowing how to work your body. I mean, a lot of the stunt guys that I work with have an extensive amount of, I wouldn't say extensive, but I think there is a lot of overlap between creature performers and stunts, Mm. but maybe not the kind of creatures that we've seen her do in star Wars. Yeah. She keeps going back to such soft characters, you know, who are very gentle. Um, Yeah. They're both very, I mean, they're both essentially parental. Kuil, like yep. you said, is more or less a mentor to Mando. He's, he's very the one nurturing. Who nurturing. The cave lesson. He's yeah. very nurturing to IG Eleven as well. Oh yeah. Oh, Kuil's that first person that us as a queer person meets who is not queer but can just see us as a person and not, mm-hmm. you know. There's so many times in life that we are brought on to either as our check. See, I don't, uh, you know, I'm I am woke. So here's my here's my box for this and and we're presented when needed and then quickly put back in the closet when we're not or you know oh you're gay you can decorate can you come help me with you know they bring us out for these stereotypical roles until and, and we hopefully many of us meet someone who isn't us but can just see us as a person anyways and I feel like Kuwil is the first person who looked past the armor on Mando, you know, and yeah. and saw yeah, none him of the, for who he was. None of the I'm fine with your gay, but can you tone it down a bit? Exactly. None of yep. that with uh, Kuwil. Nope. Yep. It, at first, he does though. He you know he says like you're a Mandalorian. Your ancestors rode the mighty Mythosar, and it seems like at first he does kind of judge Mando by the armor, but it's not long and he does see past it. Mm-hmm. Well I take like I take that as like, well you claim to be one. So oh, pony fair. up. Pony That's up. A- it's similar to I go back, you know, I know I uh, um Ahsoka and and that portrayal is hit or miss for a lot of people in season two. Mm-hmm. And and I understand when people get upset about calling it the Jedi in reference to her. If that's who we are referring to at this moment, we still don't know. And she doesn't, you know, but I don't 
she's I still do not believe she is a Jedi. Mm. There's so many layers to that stuff, though, too. But like, I think she is being who because Ahsoka is so selfless, she is being who she needs to be to the people around her to give inspire them and give them hope. And I feel like that is what Kawil is doing for Din in that moment. I know you are prideful on this being a Mando, so you can do this because your people rode the great Mythosaur. That's a good so point. I, I I'm going to placate to you way. right now. Yeah. Because at that moment, yeah, at that moment, that's what Din needed to hear. For me, that's how I how I read that. I like that. Because, like, at the end of this, we get that great line with Quill of, like, you know, may the child bring you great wealth and give you what you need. Because Quill knows he ain't going anywhere. Oh, it yeah. isn't the money that he needs. I mean, obviously, he's like, I can pay you handsomely. Mando is, like, stacked. It doesn't look like it, but the dude is clearly stacked. You know, um, he's got a carbon freezing chamber in his. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and Quill's just like, yeah, you you do you, Bill. I hope you get what you need. And, you know, just so you know, when you turn him in, you're going to call right back for it <laughs> because he is who you need. Everyone keeps telling him over and over and over. And then don't get me started on chapter 16. <sighs> All right. Well, I think we're going to we're going to wrap it here. Brian, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Serving Pink Milk. You can listen to the show uh, Pink Milk and wherever you listen to your podcast. And then don't forget to join Mark M and I on Friday nights during our YouTube live streams where we talk Star Wars queerly. We talk emotionally. We get steamy. We laugh a lot. It is, (laughs) it's very, it's a fun, it's a fun thing. And you will find not a better room of chat folks than the ones that are in there. There's a, it's really pretty cool seeing this little, this little community building just, just between the chat people. It's really awesome. Very, very lucky to have, of, to be witness to that. I love that. My work schedule just changed, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to watch live now. Awesome! Yeah, uh, I usually watch Monday afternoons when I go into the office, but now I will have awesome. a more regular schedule, so I'll be able to watch Friday nights. I love it. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. Uh, we're we're very active on there, so hit us up. Um, we want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. You can go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. <laughs> uh, we have teamed up with Ending Pending uh, to form Where They May Radio. We are in the works of adding a third show to the network, so keep your eyes peeled. I'm pretty stoked about it. You can get some great rewards at our Patreon, which is Patreon slash WTM radio. Ryan. Uh, Andy. How do we end the show? We implore them to tell the boy about his parents. Ezra Bridger deserves to know what happened and he deserved to hear it in a better way, in a more timely manner. You know, I agree 100%. And uh, because Ryan's here, I'm going to say drink up. (laughs) <laughs> real, oh yes. Yeah.